This is November 28th, 2020. Uh, we're having <clears throat> the uh, taking the precepts ceremony <clears throat> uh, later this morning. It'll be the first uh, time, I believe, the first time I've ever had Jukai uh, in the morning. Um, and this, as usual, on the day of Jukai, this Teisho will be uh, dedicated to uh, this ceremony that's coming up. Jukai, <coughs> taking the precepts, excuse me. Uh, the challenge always uh, on this, on this, for this Jukai day Teisho is uh, to, for, for, for me to uh, cover the most important things. Um, but some of you, many of you maybe, have heard the most important things over and over again. Um, but I still feel compelled to cover them, to say them. I hope that uh, in listening, uh, you will find a way, especially if you just did uh, <clears throat> uh, the sitting uh, that preceded this, this Teisho, help you find a way to listen as if it were the first time, more or less. Try to hear as though for the first time. Um, I, I had the experience of, of uh, for many years, assisting Roshi Kaplo in the introductory workshops. And he, he pretty much followed the same uh, material. He, he had, to, had to cover certain things uh, and I do the same now when I'm giving workshops. Uh, but what I found was each time I heard him, each each workshop, there was something I had heard over and over that clicked as it hadn't before. And <clears throat> this is not particularly uh, credit to me. It's It's the sitting. If we can maintain daily sitting, um, then 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 our hearing changes. We are, we our comprehension changes, and we we come to uh, hear the same thing in a new way. We come to see the same thing in a new way, and and uh, and and the same for all the senses. So <clears throat> that having been said. Uh, general thing about taking the precepts. I think the uh, the most important thing uh, is that it is the precepts uh, or morality, the morality element of Zen practice uh, is considered one of the three essentials in, in not just Zen but in Buddhist practice, in the Dharma. The three essential the three essentials are morality, meditation, and wisdom. And these three are all uh, mutually supportive. Um, it's like a it's like a three legged stool. If you were to ignore uh, the morality side of 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 practice, uh, the stool would collapse. Or the same with the meditation side. 
and uh, and 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 today the the emphasis, of course, will be on the morality side, the ethics. Uh, the the Sanskrit word is shila. It's spelled S I L A. <clears throat> shila, which uh, in in Zen and uh, probably most most other forms of Buddhism, uh, it's it's based on these sixteen precepts that we'll be taking later this morning. That uh, our 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 meditation is going to be compromised if we are violating precepts. And what that really means is if we're causing unnecessary harm. There. We don't need concepts of right and wrong. Really. I mean, it's, it's implied. It's, 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 it's there. It's implicit. But we don't need to think in terms of right and wrong but simply causation. This, this, the precepts, taking the precepts is, comes out of the aspiration to not cause hurt, not cause unnecessary uh, harm. So if we're, if we're, Again, our, our sitting, our meditation will be compromised if we uh, drag into our, our uh, sitting room uh, the, any kind of guilt or, or baggage uh, that we've incurred uh, from having um, spoken or acted in ways that cause harm to others. And, uh, and then vice versa also. The, the meditation, um, in, through the meditation, Zazen, we develop the, the will and the clarity to make choices regarding moral behavior, uh, choices that will um, not cause remorse. Uh, and that, of course, and harm to others. I'm going to skip along uh, pretty quickly through these first parts. So that's just a, a general thing about the precepts. And uh, the ceremony uh, later this morning, as always with, with, with Jukai, uh, begins with, uh, after, after the chanting, it begins with a repentance um, segment of the ceremony. <clears throat> The repentance, uh, it's probably pretty obvious. It's, it's the purpose of the repentance part is to help clear away the obstructive effects of guilt and other emotions uh, that often follow our harmful speech and actions. It's a, it's a, it's a chance to reset, reboot. Clear the slate. Not that, not that we can somehow um, uh, cancel out uh, the effects of previous uh, harmful actions and words. Uh, that that has to play itself out to some extent. 
but um, but we there is a a, a really a kind of um, refreshment, a refreshing that happens when we do this repentance part, and the the vocalizing of it is important. Um, because in vocalizing, uh, we we are embodying it. We're getting the body. We're getting the mouth involved and the lungs, the tongue and the lips and and so forth. So so even if if you were to do this repentance part uh, at home alone, uh, I would urge you to do it aloud. Uh, so it's you're embodying it, you're hearing it, you're hearing your own voice. This uh, has a, a little extra power to it, rather than just thinking it. And we do we do it three times, uh, as we do the three refuges and the three general resolutions. Three times, uh, because um, by the third time, it's most likely to sink. Uh, really, we're most likely to be mentally involved, more fully involved by the third time than the first time or even the second time. For some 50 years, uh, we began the repentance verse. Gata means verse. We began began the repentance verse by saying all evil actions committed by me since time immemorial and so forth. Um, that's one translation. And then after many years of being uncomfortable with that, with that word evil, uh, we switched uh, maybe two years ago uh, to the word harmful. The problem with evil is it's, it's, it's too easy to tell oneself, well, I'm not, I'm not evil. Jesus, I'm not evil. I just, you know, I cause harm and hurt to people, but I'm not evil. Well, we want to raise the bar. And so now we say all harmful actions. So we can't rewind and expunge our past actions. But uh, in our act of remorse, our spoken act of remorse, we change ourselves. And now the first of the 16 formal precepts, uh, they go in segments of uh, 3, 3, and 10. The first three are the three refuges. Um the, the other word related to the three the, to refuges is treasures, the three treasures. Um, but we use the word refuge because it has this element of engagement or, or action. Um, because we're really saying when we say I, I under I take refuge in Buddha and then Dharma and then Sangha, is um, I place my faith in. Those three. One uh, one Buddhist uh, author said, 
Uh, it really means I undertake to find my home in Buddha, in Dharma, and in Sangha. That is, by, by finding my home or put, putting my trust in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, I can find liberation. The, the, the flip side of that, the, 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 the converse of that is, as long as we, as we rely on or take refuge in things of this world, we will be left wanting. As long as we yoke ourselves to this world of flux and gain and loss and birth and death, uh, then we will still be uh, consigned to unnecessary suffering. Whereas if we take refuge, we place our trust ultimately in first the Buddha, we're, we're placing our, our trust in Buddha nature, really. That's the, just to skip along here, not dwell on anything too long, I'd have to make this um, succinct. Uh, yes, in, in many forms of Buddhism, they might, when they say, I take refuge in Buddha, they may mean take refuge in Lord Buddha, this man who sat under the Bodhi tree and came to enlightenment. And that's, that's not absent from a Zen understanding of it. But really, we're saying, I take refuge in my Buddha nature. This mind of, of wisdom and compassion, just for starters. But also, taking, taking refuge in Buddha nature is taking nature in the, the, the truth of no self. We said it in the in the Hakuin chant a few minutes ago. Our true self is no self, or our Buddha nature is no self. That's the absolute opposite of placing our 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 faith or relying on self, small s self. In doing that, we will forever suffer. We need to find trust in what is beyond the self. I don't like to use the word ego. It's too easily becomes kind of a Satan substitute. Um, I think self is a little less that. Um, the second of the three refuges is I... I take refuge in Dharma. Here again, many of you know this, but I need to say it. Dharma is variously translated as the truth, the law. Um, more narrowly, uh, it can refer to Buddhism. But we don't need to narrow it down to that. We can just understand it as the truth. What is what is the truth? What do, when we take refuge in Dharma, take refuge in the truth, what is that? Well, two very obvious things: um, the truth of suffering. That to be born 
as a human being with this mind-body complex uh, means that we will suffer unnecessarily in any kind of way, any number of ways, until, they say, <laughs> full enlightenment. Um, we suffer physically, uh, we suffer emotionally, But the good news is that we, we, we can't not experience pain, bodily pain and emotional pain. That's, that's what we're stuck with as human beings. But we don't have to suffer. Suffer is something beyond pain. Suffering is putting the self in the middle of the pain. So the three, three traditionally expressed, the three characteristics of the truth or the Dharma are suffering, impermanence, hello, impermanence. And then the third is no self, which just follows from impermanence. If there's no permanent fixed self in us, then... Uh, then that's no self. I uh, I can't get enough of this this one statement of Zen Master Dogen. One who would practice the Dharma must deeply, deeply believe in the passing nature of things and have faith in karma. Deeply deeply believe in the passing nature of things. Even those of us who have resisted seeing that, who have been in some degree of denial about impermanence, the passing nature of things, um, are having a hell of a year in 2020, denying it with all of the, the deaths and the daily alarms of infections and deaths. So that's, that's the Dharma, taking refuge in the Buddha, Buddha nature, taking refuge in the Dharma, and then Sangha. Sangha originally, in the time of the Buddha, uh, referred to monks, the the Buddha's disciples, monastic disciples in India, and then later uh, the celibate monks in China and Japan, Korea, uh, as as householders, as lay people ourselves, we can expand that to uh, those who take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma, or those who practice. Take that at least. Those who, who practice Zen or any form of, of uh, the Dharma, uh, the teaching, uh, are Sangha. And uh, the old texts emphasize the importance of, of uh, associating with people 
like-minded people who 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 aspire to see beyond self and other, us and them. It's a big support in maintaining our practice is, is having others we can count on who share that understanding, which is pretty rare. How many people, let's just talk about the United States, how many people um, can... How many people believe in, all right, there may be tens of millions of people who believe in God, and in a way, that's, that's uh, believing in, in something beyond the, the, the self, the ego. But even there, uh, if I may, they, they put the self in that guy or gal up in the sky. In Zen, we don't accept there's self anywhere, any any fixed nature to anything. Everything is flux. There is no self anywhere, in the sky or underground. Uh, I fished out a, a quote here. I was actually sent by one of our members in Madison uh, a, a quote, a, a quote uh, words attributed to uh, the Buddha and his attendant, Ananda. Here's how it goes. Ananda said to the Buddha, This is half of the holy life. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable, admirable camaraderie. And the Buddha replied, Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. When a monk has admirable people as friends, companions, and comrades, he can be expected to develop and pursue the noble eightfold path. Not a single one of us is alone. Not a single one of us is unaffected by people around us. This is just the logical uh, conclusion from the teaching of no self. We're not sealed up. We are affected by people we associate with. Somewhere in my notes, I jotted down these uh, these words from some wit. A person is known by the company he avoids. Said so that's a good one. It's sobering, literally sobering. I mean, uh, people in AA know this. It's not just reputation, it's how we can change somewhat by 
the people around us. By the way, when I was talking earlier about suffering, um, to, to some people, I suppose more beginners, uh, this can sound so bleak um, that this is our lot as human beings with our our minds and, and well, all creatures uh, are subject to pain. But another, I think, a, a help more for some people, more helpful way to understand suffering, dukkha, uh, the Buddha's first noble truth, uh, is to understand it as anxiety. This underlying anxiety that may be quite manageable in our daily lives or not, but is lurks there. It lurks there to the degree that we have this self-consciousness uh, that to, and to the degree that we haven't seen through self, self and other. I think it's maybe most acute, this kind of anxiety. Uh, well, for me, it was in uh, as a teenager. The self-consciousness. Ugh. But beyond self-consciousness, it's the it's the kind of root anxiety that comes from the awareness of our mortality, our eventual death. Another good word, I think, to me, for uh, dukkha, uh, what is usually translated as suffering, is uh, frustration, which comes out of desire. I want this. I prefer that. And since we can never get the world to completely satisfy us, uh, there is frustration. Dissatisfaction is the other one that's most often used for dukkha. Suffering, dissatisfaction, anxiety, frustration. There we have it. And then, after the three refuges, taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, then the next part of the 16 precepts, the ceremony, is the three general resolutions. Um, I resolve to avoid wrong. I resolve to do good. I resolve to liberate all living beings. These these are just kind of it's 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 the it's kind of a broad look at the ten cardinal precepts that follow. It's stepping back and seeing that this is the basic thing. Um, when, you, when we say, I resolve to avoid wrong, in, in Zen, we would say, it really means I resolve not to be deceived by the notion of separation. That's, it's from, it's by being deceived by the notion of separation that we cause harm and hurt. Separation, of course, self and other, 
us and them. There it is. Avoiding wrong. We used to say uh, a resolve to avoid evil. Um, but same thing, as I mentioned earlier, maybe just too low a bar. The Buddha is supposed to have said Mara. Mara is uh, kind of a mythological Buddhist Satan. Um, or at least I used to, <laughs> before 2016, I used to think it was just mythological. Um, but this is what the Buddha is supposed to have said. Mara has access to people by means of whatever things in the world they cling to. Very profound. What we cling to. Starting with thoughts from a Zen perspective. Our thoughts are what give rise to our words and our actions. Uh, this, the, so I, I uh, resolve to avoid wrong. Uh, I resolve to do good. Do, do good from a, from a Zen perspective just means um, where there's the absence of greed, ill will, and delusion. Absence of the three poisons. To the degree that our thoughts, words, and actions are, are, are uh, free of greed, ill will, and delusion, uh, to, that sense, to that degree, we're we're doing good, so to speak. And then the third of the three general resolutions is a resolve to liberate all living beings. In a way, this third one comes from the first two. If we're, if we're avoiding wrongdoing, if we're doing good, then there is a way there in which we are liberating uh, others, as well as ourselves. Ultimately, you can't liberate yourself without liberating others and vice versa because there is no self. It's a package deal, self and others. And then finally, the 10 cardinal precepts. Now, uh, I, th I thought that since this has been such a kind of catastrophic, catastrophic year, or at least enormously, oh, shall we say eventful year, um, that I would comment on these 10, I would look at these 10 cardinal precepts um, in the context of this year's uh, five trials five ordeals, five afflictions, five plagues. So what are the five? Well, first and most threatening is the pandemic. Second is the financial and economic repercussions of the pandemic, joblessness, business failures, homelessness, rising poverty, food insecurity, 
And then in addition to those two, three that have been around longer, which is the, the threat of climate change, which has intensified uh, in a very more obvious way this year and wait till next year and the year after. Climate change, uh, the threat of climate change, and then number four of these four trials we've been going through this year is our uh, is the the awareness of uh, our affliction in this country, our affliction of systemic racism. And then, and and that as we can understand in terms of this, the 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 the, the, the newly the reopened wounds this year of uh, racial injustice and uh, infringement of voting rights, uh, very recent, and other forms of racial inequities that have been laid bare uh, to far more people than before this year. I think it's fair to say it's been extraordinary in that way. And then as a fifth, uh, the fifth trial is this alarming rise in political divisiveness. So I'll, I'll mention these again. <coughs> so the first precept is I, I resolve not to kill, but to cherish all life. The first of the 10 cardinal precepts. Uh, in terms of the pandemic, um, even if we have no intention to kill others, when we flout public safety, public health safety guidelines, that is, if, even if we have no intention to kill others when we refuse to wear a mask or social distance or wash our hands, if, if as a result of that people die, that is, infected patients, others, healthcare professionals, if first responders die, public transportation workers die, grocery clerks and other essential workers, then we are complicit. Because it was our intention, it was, a, it was an act of intention to not wear the mask and so forth. In terms of uh, climate change, uh, not to not to kill means not not um, not being complicit in the pollution, the warming of the earth, uh, which then would take the lives of our descendants and countless other species. That's where killing figures in climate change. In terms of the financial and economic uh, repercussions of uh, the pandemic, um, we can see that by not managing and doing our part to manage uh, the pandemic, we can help, we, we contribute to uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and the suicides. There's the link, suicide as a feature of this first precept of not to kill. In terms of 
uh, racism, let's just abbreviate some of these things. In terms of racism, um, we, we see how it is implicated in uh, death um, through the higher infection and fatality rates among people of color. Uh, disproportionate numbers of whom are essential workers. They're at greater risk. In a recent Harvard study, they noted the much higher rate of coronavirus cases that is higher than among whites. The, the higher rate of coronavirus cases among blacks first, uh, according to this Harvard study, it linked that to the high proportion of them living in high-rise housing, which we can see is in no small part uh, a, a result of systemic racism. Their higher use of public transportation, uh, the high proportion of blacks living in higher pollution areas, also systemic racism. And all, yes, and then among Latinos, uh, crowded housing, multifamily housing, higher proportion of them working in food service and other hospitality jobs, putting them at a higher risk, and a higher proportion of recent immigrants. So that's the first precept, the way we should be alert uh, to the, the consequences of our... Um, of our heedlessness with respect to public health guidelines, the consequences in terms of of uh, uh, taking life indirectly. The second precept is uh, a resolve not to take what is not given, but to respect the things of others. Um, here too, in terms of the pandemic, first, um, not not following these guidelines leaves us complicit, there it is again, in taking away others' livelihood by, by contributing to the spread of the, of the virus. We're, we're contributing to uh, people losing their financial security and their savings. In, take, in terms of uh, this precept, not taking what is not given, uh, in the context of climate change, there's just taking more than our share of resources. And then in terms of racism, we can see this not taking what is not given uh, as implicating white privilege. The third precept, cardinal precept, third of the ten, is uh, not to misuse sexuality but to be caring and responsible. Here again, I'm going to limit my comments today to um, how it relates, in this case, this precept, just in terms of the pandemic, that we are violating this precept when we're having sex with people outside our own households, or I've heard the term germ clubs, This would be the ultimate in non-social distancing. So this is this again is 
is one way to understand the pandemic version during the pandemic of misusing sexuality, in addition to all the other ways that uh, that we've talked about in, in uh, previous years. This is neither to do that, to have sex with people outside our own households um, impulsively or heedlessly, is uh, it's not caring, nor is it responsible. We had to uh, uh, let one of our uh, residents, our, um, someone who was briefly a resident um, in training here um, early in the pandemic, uh, we had to let him go when we uh, had heard that he was uh, sleeping with someone out outside the center uh, in violation of our, our guidelines here, our training guidelines, because it's just too dangerous. The fourth of the precepts is uh, resolve not to lie, but to speak the truth. Boy, have we been up to our eyeballs in this the past four years and uh, maybe more than ever in, in this this year. Um, in terms of the pandemic and this precept of not lying, uh, we, we we initiate uh, by, by, by initiating or spreading misinformation, who would do that? By initiating or spreading misinformation, uh, especially with social media as an amplifier, um, we're, it's, a, it's violating this, of course. Um, same with uh, climate change issues, how misinformation, uh, falsehoods, um, block a more effective uh, response to climate change. It also contributes to killing, literally killing, as I mentioned before, killing our descendants someday, killing other species, but also killing our peace of mind and our harmony. The fifth precept uh, resolve not to abuse, not to cause others to abuse alcohol or drugs, nor to do so myself, but to keep the mind clear. Well, the only thing I could come up with there related to these five trials we're going through this year is that uh, in terms of the pandemic, um, when, we, when we drink, we tend to get disinhibited and more likely indulge in impulsive or reckless behavior putting others at risk uh, during a pandemic. The sixth and seventh precepts are quite similar. Uh, here, by flouting, that is, ignoring public health guidelines, um, we... <laughs> it's a little bit of a stretch. Oh, sorry. The sixth precept is I resolve not to speak of the faults of others, but to be understanding and sympathetic. Well, by flouting public health guidelines, not wearing a mask, 
So you could say that we're provoking others to violate this precept, speaking of the faults of others. And the same with seven. Seven is is a resolve not to praise myself and disparage others. Well, we're likely to cause people to disparage us um, when we're not taking proper safety measures. Same thing, six and seven. Eight, uh, this one is probably the most obvious. Uh, a resolve not to withhold spiritual or material aid, but to give them freely where needed. All right. Of the five trials this year, the pandemic, um, when we, in terms of spiritual aid, when we're complying with these safety guidelines, we're being an example to others. We're being an example of, yeah, spiritual aid, uh, cooperation, helpfulness, unity. We're sending a, we're sending a signal uh, that we're, we're helping spiritually. In terms of climate change, yeah, by not withholding material aid, we're, we can do that by, not, by contributing to organizations that are working to mitigate climate change. But also, in terms of material aid, uh, when we convert our home uh, systems to uh, sustainable energy sources or, or cars, uh, we're living up to this, this precept. Um, in terms of racism, uh, we can donate to causes supporting racial equity, um, racial justice. That's the material part. But also, we're, we're giving spiritual aid, I think it's fair to say, when we engage in activities with, or engage with groups that are working toward racial harmony. Or um, what came to mind first was these public sittings that some in the Sangha have been doing again recently um, as a, as a, as a, uh, a protest or memorial for uh, local black blacks who have been um, who have died as a result of uh, police brutality, but even beyond that. Um, it's a form of spiritual aid uh, for whatever cause it is to sit with others publicly. And then, then beside that, just engaging in our own seeing through racism committee. The ninth precept is I resolve not to indulge in anger, but to practice forbearance. Well, this is something we get we get to practice this uh, with uh, people who refuse to wear masks or who get militant uh, or indignant that anyone would ask them to wear a mask. We get to practice this forbearance um, when we consider the people who uh, go on polluting or wasting resources. Uh, we get to practice forbearance uh, when we see uh, police 
getting um, brutal. And when we recognize that um, lashing out in anger is not likely the most skillful response. So um, police misconduct or even demonstrators, take the other side, uh, demonstrators misconduct uh, in in uh, yeah in in public protests and demonstrations forbearance and then we get to exercise <laughs> forbearance uh, all the time when we read about uh, our partisan opponents and what they say and do and then last of the ten precepts. A resolve not to revile Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, but to cherish and uphold them. This similar here when we 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 don't revile people who do things uh, that we think are are wrong. Um, Reviling the Dharma um, would would be. We could we could lay at the feet of those who deny science. I mean, that's the there's no there's no daylight between the Dharma and science. It's truth. I mean, of course, science is always evolving, and you know, old science was wrong, but but at least this the the scientific method, let's say, or the 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 spirit of science. Uh, is squarely um, a, a feature of the Dharma. So those who who um, deny truth, facts, science are reviling the Dharma, the truth. And then reviling the Sangha um, in terms of these five trials of 2020 uh, I think it's, it's, we've already covered it. All right. Um, before we end, um, this will be the first time I think that we've ever had the, the Jukai ceremony so soon after this morning Taisho. It's the one time a year that I give Taisho on a Saturday instead of Sunday or some other day. Um, so the, the Jukai is scheduled for 11.30 Eastern Time. Uh, that's just a little more than an hour from now. We have the benefit uh, this morning of having very recently sat, well, at least those people who did sit this morning before Teisho. Uh And that's, a, that's, a, that's going to enrich the, the, the ceremony. If you haven't sat this morning, um, before Teisho, then see if you can do some sitting before 1130, because um, it will, well, sitting, sitting enriches everything we do, everything. And that'll be true of the ceremony, too. It's by settling the mind, makes us more receptive Uh, might even want to shower. That's a, you know, kind of a timeless ritual before important ceremonies is uh, to bathe, um, 
to it sort of relates to repentance, cleaning, <laughs> cleaning the slate, uh, resetting, refreshing. And uh, finally, um, I do hear from time to time, or I always have, of people who uh, hesitate to take the precepts because they think it has some implications as as a commitment, um, some uh, binding commitment. No, taking the precepts, um, we do this again as an aspiration to avoid hurting others, causing harm. It doesn't. You don't need to make any more of it than that. And 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 that's why one can take. This do the ceremony, take the precepts hundreds of times. Each time we are renewing our, our aspiration to live up to uh, our true nature. That's all. The precepts, even though we, we fail them maybe many times in a single day, even nonetheless, uh, we can keep picking ourselves up, um, making another pledge to live uh, in accordance with these, these precepts over and over again. It doesn't need to be binding. It's really the spirit of the precepts is by, to the degree that we can live up to them, uh, we, we, we liberate ourselves it's not binding, it's liberating when we're not causing harm to others, when we when we take refuge in our own Buddha nature and in the, the Dharma, the truth, and the Sangha. All right, um, our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.